Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, at one point the U.S. stock market was surging towards Dow 20,000. Now it's just inching towards Dow 20,000. And the dollar at a 14-year high, that could be a problem for the manufacturing sector and could be a complication for the U.S. economy. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul Vigna here, coming to you from our studios in New York City. Stephen Grosser is on a much-deserved vacation for the holidays. And I'm joined today by Ben Eisen and Sarah Krauss. Are you both millennials? It's fair, yes. All right. I don't know if you're gonna. If this is going to resonate with you as much, but, but before we begin, I, it is a Monday afternoon, everybody. Uh, I have to just say a couple of quick words about Carrie Fisher, who, who passed away on Monday. She had a, a heart attack over the weekend, and uh, the news came down today. That I keep saying Monday. It's Tuesday. Because we all had Monday off. Whoa. Uh, Wow. Okay. Uh, Carrie Fisher died on Tuesday. Uh, You know, this was said. I was nine years old when Star Wars came out. So I was right at that age where I was kind of old enough to, to... to process things as a child, you know, I wasn't a baby. You know, you're, you're nine. You're old enough, you know, but young enough to be extremely impressionable. And and for all the kids in my class, I mean, that movie was just that. That was our lives for years. That was our lives, you know. Yeah, I mean, I may be a millennial, but she's like the ultimate power woman, right? She's I the mean, ultimate power woman. You have this princess who doesn't need to be saved. She's got it. Right. So for for me, that's how she stands yeah. out. Yeah, and I, I was trying to think about it today. I don't think that there had really been a female character in the movies who was like her until that. Mm. I, I was trying to think, I really, I can't, maybe there, I'm not a, you know, expert on the movies, there might be, but I don't think there was one. And I think that was what was so amazing about her character and her performance in it too. I mean, she brought a lot of that to it, was that she was not, you know, the damsel in, she was the princess, mm-hmm. but she was not the damsel in distress. I mm-hmm. mean, she was... You know, bossing around Luke, bossing around Han Solo. She she was she was a different kind of person, different kind of female lead than we had seen and before. And who was given a personality as well. It wasn't just right. you know one line here or there. She right. had her own sort of uh, vibe. You know. Yep. Uh, she's extremely iconic role, and her influence over the years as as a person, I think probably. It, it won't overshadow. I mean, nothing could overshadow that movie and that role. But I mean, she did have a huge career just a- as a writer, as a personality. I mean, a lot of her struggles she was very open about, you know, um, just very, very sad. 60, 60 is just way. Um, I'm 48 now. So now I start hearing, you know, 60 years old. And I think, oh, my God, it's just way, way too young to, to die and to pass on, you know. So a little sad about Carrie Fisher today. Mm-hmm. Say, in, I, you don't I, have to say anything. Well, ben, I mean, at the ri- at the risk of being kicked out of this podcast here, I was not the biggest Star Star Wars fan growing up. But you know, it's interesting watching some of the the, the clips and and um, some of the the things that she said over the years being uh, sort of uh, revived today. And it's she definitely stood out as as a person in addition to being uh, the the character, of course. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, she definitely deserves uh, all the the everything she's getting today. Uh, she deserves, and it's just you know, look, it's just a sad thing. But these are the lot. These are the times we live in. Everyone passes. So, uh, Carrie Fisher. I don't know. May the force be with you. <laughs> it's you really bad. Yourself. I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, hey, at least I didn't blubber on Twitter about it all day. You know, I tried to do it. You know, somewhat. Somewhat semi privately in the semi privately in the podcast studio. All right, uh, let's all right. Let's let's move on for a minute because this is the Money Beat podcast. We do talk about the markets and the stock market on Tuesday. I've got it right now. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Uh, stock market on Tuesday. Ben Eisen. Uh, what is our our Dow Jones ticker? Our, our Wall Street Journal. Uh, I love our Wall Street Journal thing about you know did the Dow hit twenty thousand? Have you no. seen that? No, yeah, big red no at yeah. the top. Yeah, <laughs> you'll find very it. useful graphic. It's, yeah, it's a great graphic. You'll find that on the website. Go to jones.com. Go to maybe the markets page, and you'll see a link. It's all headline. It'll say did the Dow hit twenty thousand? You hit it, and and all it says is no. I imagine it'll flip green to yes when it does hit it, mm. uh, but it didn't hit it today, did it, Ben? It absolutely did not, but we are getting closer, 55 points away about, so, uh, you know, could be tomorrow, could be next month, could be a couple of months. It was another tease, right? I mean, it, in the opening, it looked like things were sort of pushing upward, pushing upward, and then sort of just hanging out for the right. rest of the day. Some of the tech stocks did well early on, but, you know. Now we're just hanging out. Yeah, it got uh, it got to within twenty points of it. I think within the first half hour of trading, Eric Holm got all excited. Eric Holm. Eric Holm was walking along, around with his hat on. His yeah, Dow twenty thousand hat. He was all excited. He he was out last week, so he would have missed it if it happened. So he was glad that he that he'll be here for it, but uh, did not happen. Perhaps today. it was a sign, though. By two p.m., he had taken it off. Well, then I don't know if you saw around three thirty. He tried to turn it into a rally cap. <laughs> I think we all just want this to happen at this point because, you know, the, the whole newsroom is now we're stu- the whole markets team at least we're, we're stuck on this. You know, we can't move on. We we have to just sit here and wait for this thing to hit twenty thousand. Which really, when you think about it, too, is it's it's kind of arbitrary. I mean, it's but, a, you know, it's a little fun though. The will it won't it. Right. A little, little fun, but it's, I, I think whatever yeah. fun there was before maybe is, is going to be less fun yeah. now that we've been yeah. waiting for it for ben three Eisen weeks. Ben has had enough. I've had enough. I, I came back excited, actually, the, the uh, last week after a little vacation, and, uh, and, and my excitement sort of uh, drifted downward as sort of in the same vein as Eric Holm throughout the day, so... Right. I mean, the other thing yeah. is this is a week where trading is particularly thin, um, so there's not really... Not a ton of folks at their desk right. moving the needle along either. Right, right. And, and you know, you mentioned that, and, and you had mentioned earlier tech stocks, too. And, and Ben, you had done a couple of posts about both those things. I mean, it is an exceedingly quiet holiday season, right? It is. It is. It's um, the, the volume, you know, on some of these days is, is uh, three-quarters, four-fifths of the daily trading volume that you get uh, on average, and it's, it's – uh, that's that's a lot lower than usual. Um, so that's one thing. You also just have moves. The moves are much smaller. You have the Dow moving within like a very narrow uh, point range throughout the day, uh, and it's been that way uh, on the S and P as well. But it's been that way for like like almost two weeks now, I guess. Last week we had a stat that uh, every day last week the S and P moved between its high and low of the day uh, was less than half a percentage point. Um, and that was the first time that it's done that for all five days of the week uh, uh, since, like, they started collecting records on this stuff back in the 1970s. 
So wow. it's uh, very quiet indeed. Yeah. And the this you know I'm using air quotes here, folks. You could say there was a standout today. I guess it would be the tech stocks, like you were saying, Sarah. Uh, is there anything behind that? Well, there was a. That's open to the floor. Anybody? I mean, I, anybody? In some can sense, answer. you do. You're coming off the holidays. You've had holiday sales. Perhaps you're you're getting some information about consumer demand for the goods out there. I mean, I would say on the tails of the holiday season, retailers are an obvious sort of place you would look to see right. how the economy is doing, how confident consumers are feeling, et cetera. And and also, you know, stronger dollar, which we'll get to in another segment of yeah. this. But I would say that that's a force that's at play here as well. Definitely, and and one uh, one sector within tech that. Uh, has done especially well, um, I mean, I guess today, but also uh, for all of this year is semiconductors, which is uh, sort of not your, not the household names of like Facebook and Google and, and uh, or Alphabet and, and, and Netflix that you might think of as being these like high-flying tech stocks, but stocks like NVIDIA, which is a, a chip maker, um, uh, is up 250% this year, which is an extraordinary amount like uh semiconductor index is up like 40 percent this year right. so those are those are really big gains but they're also not the stocks that people tend to pay attention to like apple so so uh that, that that's one thing that's yeah. going on so and uh before i let you go ben eisen the the response to our book club podcast has been overwhelming yeah yeah it's uh overwhelming it, and at least we've overwhelmed ourselves with it. Well, yeah. we're, all, we're all very proud of ourselves. <laughs> that might be all I'm talking about. Uh, but anyhow, we were so happy with it that we have decided to, to you know, really kind of get this thing going and continue it out there. Ben, this is your baby. And, and you know how much I was behind this from the start. I was very happy to, to, to help push this thing through. Of course, of uh, course. Yeah, I think I, 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 I actually— forcefully pushed it through. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I will take all the credit for it. Go for um, it. Yes. Yeah. It was yes. you. It was it was it was my idea actually, wasn't it? No. <laughs> I didn't it even read the book. It was, uh, I, it was it was all Ben's idea. I was very terrible about supporting him in this. Uh not that I was unsupportive, I was just extremely apathetic. Sorry. Uh so, but it's been so good, Ben, that you know we're gonna continue it. So why don't all you right. you know tell us for the good folks out there, what the next book's going to be? So we uh, we solicited some uh, so, some recommendation ideas from around the newsroom for other finance business books to uh, to read and then and then uh, come back and discuss. So the book that we chose that we chose uh, was suggested by Stephanie Yang, who is our our uh, our metals reporter. Um, it's called Lords of Finance: The Bankers Who Broke the World. Um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the author, but we will figure that out before we actually discuss the book. Um, but it's an interesting book. It's sort of about the decisions that central bankers made leading up to the, the Great Depression in 1929. And it also, the book actually came out in early 2009. Mm. So it had sort of the, 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 the fortunate uh, timing of, of being uh, released right in the middle of another Great Recession. So... Uh, it'll be an interesting discussion for sure. We'll come back and discuss it in a month or two. But figured we would tell all of our listeners out there now that this is the book that we're going to read. So if you want to read along, if you want to read it, and then uh, when we come back and discuss it, it will uh, it'll be a great discussion. That's sort of timely, given the role central bankers are playing in the world today, too. Definitely. it's uh, Central bankers have always been... Uh, been there, been a very prominent role. But I, I, And I think this book, which I have not yet read, but 
will hopefully uh <laughs> is uh i mean it talks about how how the the central bankers really their role in creating the the, the great depression uh is, is not really that well recognized and, and and not really thought about that much so i think this book sort of draws attention to that all right uh, we'll do that. So, look, if you've read the book or if you're going to read the book and you, you want to comment on it ahead of the podcast, we're probably going to give ourselves about a month. Weren't we talking about doing it towards the end of January? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Uh, probably going to do it sometime around the end of January. So if, if you want to comment on it ahead of time, look, why don't you hit us up on – we are on Twitter. We're at WSJ Podcasts. If you want to email – if you want to email me, I'm paul.vigna, V-I-G-N-A, at WSJ.com. Uh, do you, want to, you don't have to give out your email if you don't want to, Ben, although it's on the website. Anybody <laughs> well, can it's, find it's, it. It's ben.eisen, yeah. ben.eisen at WSJ.com. You can find me. You can send me uh, uh, mean emails or nice emails or whatever you want. So if you, if you want to play along at home, uh, read the book or if you've read it, send us what you think of it and maybe we'll read it on the air when we do the podcast. So that is, that's it for that. Uh, thank you, Ben Eisen. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the strong dollar. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Paul Vini here in the studio today with Sarah Krause and Ben Eisen. And joining us on the phone from Washington, D.C., Andrew Tangle. Andrew, how are you? Good. Um, I'm actually in Chicago, by the way. Oh, you're in Chicago. <laughs> I got it. Oh, that's right. Uh, Josh, is, Josh is in D.C. That's I got right. it mixed up because you and Josh worked on a story about the dollar, which is in it's online uh, today. Dollar's rise threatens the manufacturing recovery Interesting one because, look, I mean, you have a new administration coming in. Everyone expects the economy to be doing well, to be doing better to improve. Uh, manufacturing, not what it used to be into this country, but still a huge employer, still a big, important part of it, might have a problem because the dollar is – it has been rising for a while. Now it is it is surging. What, uh, what, what, what does this manufacturing sector think about that, Andrew? Right. Um, the – Strong dollar overall is uh, you know, considered by many uh, a good thing, a sign of optimism. It uh, shows that there's a lot of uh, optimism for the uh, strength uh, and potential strength of the U.S. economy. You've got the Dow also surging, uh, nearing 20,000 if we're uh, not quite there yet, uh, all part of the same uh, picture. But uh, for manufacturing companies that depend on overseas sales of their products, it can be a problem. It depends, of course, on what they manufacture, where they're selling it, how much of their revenue comes from exports. Uh, some you know, don't even uh, send many products overseas, but many uh, companies do send a sizable chunk of their products overseas. So it's going to 
have the effect of making their products more expensive overseas. So while consumers might have uh, cheaper products to buy uh, if they're imported, uh, the uh, companies that make things in the U.S. Uh, will find that their uh, products are uh, more expensive overseas, and that could open up more competition from uh, U.S. companies foreign competitors. And what are you seeing? Which which markets is this becoming particularly acute? Europe comes to mind. I mean, what are you hearing from, from companies that do sell their products in, in markets where currencies have depreciated against the dollar? So far, uh, with some of the big companies uh, that are publicly traded and uh, uh, disclose their, their finances publicly, we're hearing that they are dialing back their revenue outlooks for for next year. And they're signaling uh, to investors that 2017 could be tougher as the strong dollar uh, continues to gain strength uh, uh, on the assumption and forecast that it does gain strength. Of course, currency movements uh, can swing for a number of reasons. So they're they're saying already, even though they haven't reported their fourth quarter earnings yet, uh, they're telling investors that they watch out next year. The uh, the uh, currency translation, as they refer to it, you know, could eat into uh, sales of say one or you know two percent. So that makes it uh, tougher for them to sell their stuff overseas. But also, it makes their uh, earnings that they make overseas less valuable when it comes time to report earnings because they've got to translate it back to dollars, and the dollars uh, much more. Uh, Stronger than it was, uh, what three, four years ago. Mm. Right? And I think you said in your story that some some dealers of like Harley Davidson motorcycles and Caterpillar bulldozers were afraid that their Japanese rivals might even sort of move to undercut them on price. They've been uh, bearing intense competition already from their Japanese competitors. Um, a couple of years ago, the dollar started on its uh, earlier surge upward. The dollar had been pretty weak for much of the last decade, um, and uh, suddenly it, it, it shot up, and then the uh, foreign competitors to some of those companies, for example, started taking advantage of it and competing more heavily on price. And Caterpillar has said even recently that the uh, strong dollar is making it tough uh, to compete on price. One one thing that's been interesting is uh, looking at some of these these um, stocks of companies of uh, that don't have as much international exposure. Some of these smaller cap companies um, in the in the Russell two thousand, we've seen just like 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 a, a crazy outperformance in the Russell two thousand since the election. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of factors going into what's driving stock prices these days. But it seems like one of them is definitely uh, just how much international exposure do you have, and how is that going to be affected by all of these things, including a stronger dollar, um, and 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 these 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 small cap companies are uh, you know se- seeming to be something of a beneficiary of of uh, of all these headwinds from from a stronger dollar. Interesting. Uh, the the, um, the the exact fact isn't uh, yet known, right? Because we uh, are only uh, about what six or seven or so weeks from the election and a few weeks from the latest Fed, Fed interest rate 
hike. Uh, so we don't really know what next year is going to look like. Also, there's a huge unknown. Uh, we don't know what the Trump administration will bring. So we don't know, um, one, what policies he'll actually propose and go forward with and what he can do in Congress. And there's a, any number of var- variables uh, that we uh, aren't even talking about um, that could factor into um, how things turn out next year. But companies are, uh, some of the smaller companies uh, we've spoke, uh, uh, spoken to, um, you know, small and mid-sized manufacturers, many of which uh, aren't publicly traded, many of their executives are optimistic broadly about next year, uh, e- even if their exports uh, do become more expensive. They think that they could uh, one get a couple of offsets uh, from, uh, or excuse me, some offset from declining import prices. Um, so as, you know, the exports of the U.S. become more expensive, stuff we import becomes cheaper. So if a company makes a certain product that relies on uh, imported components that they source from China, Mexico, India, uh, what have you, then that can help ease the sting of the strong dollar. But they're also hopeful that uh, the pro-business agenda of the Trump administration will um, further offset any sting of the dollar. They are looking at um, uh, the prospect of lower tax rates, uh, fewer uh, costs associated with regulations if uh, the president-elect is able to dial back some of those regulations. And also, uh, for example, uh, the plan to uh, spend uh, about a trillion dollars on overhauls of U.S. infrastructure, that could spark growth. And if any domestic sales uh, increase, then that could help offset any decline in exports. So, you know, it's a complex uh, calculus that is... uh, uh, is going to depend on a lot of variables that yeah. have yet to really take shape. Uh, hey, Andrew, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you about, uh, ask you to talk about for a second, at the, the end of the story, you guys get into a, uh, a survey, a simulation that the firm Macroeconomic Advisors had done for us. Uh, I uh-huh. guess you guys had them conduct this simulation. Talking about uh, further dollar strength and what would do the economy. Can you kind of talk about that for a minute? Sure, we, sure, we asked... Uh, macroeconomic advisors to uh, run a simulation uh, that would show what happens over the next three years of the dollar strengthened by 10% starting next year. And it showed how uh, one, exports declined, then um, imports would increase, you know, by 4%, uh, and those exports I mentioned, uh, you know, declining potentially by 6%. Consumer spending would rise in the early part of, of all of, of that, uh, but you'd uh, start to see declines in uh, manufacturing employment in the U.S. and also production as firms that are based in the U.S., Shifts their production overseas. Um, it's just, you know it's uh, it's one simulation of what could potentially happen um, based on 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 some of the variables that they walked us through. So it's you know, it's one scenario of many potential scenarios, but it but it shows 
how a strong dollar, if it strengthened further, could ripple throughout the U.S. economy. Right. All right. We are going to have to leave it there. Andrew, thanks for spending a couple minutes with us. We appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely. Glad to have you. Thanks. Ben, Sarah, thank you very mo- much. Glad uh, glad we found three people who are actually in the newsroom today who could come in and talk. <laughs> we're not the only three, but uh, I'll say we're the best equipped three. Well put. Yeah, well put. All right. Everyone, thanks for listening, and we will catch up with you later in the week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.